The Tom Woods Show, episode 2187. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. We all know it is time for us to break up, but everybody's status quo bias is standing in the way of this obvious and humane solution. Check out my brand new ebook called National Divorce, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences, which you can get for free at nationaldivorce.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. Quick programming note before we dive into today's episode. I may miss a day or two next week. I have a medical procedure I have to undergo. I promise you I am in no health danger whatsoever, that nobody needs to check in on me. There's no risk to me whatsoever. Everything's fine, but I do need to do this. So I'm just going to leave it at that, and you could all speculate as to what it is. It doesn't matter, okay? I'm just letting you know. I always feel bad if I diverge from the schedule. So just letting you know that that may happen next week. But today, we have a great episode with Tom Luongo. Now, Tom has been a libertarian commentator for as long as I can remember. I've been reading him forever, and it astonishes me that I haven't had him on the program before. We want to talk about what's going on in the world, but at maybe two or three levels of depth greater than this conversation has been occurring up to now, where there are bad guys at the World Economic Forum and we have to fight them. Now, as if that's all people get, that's fine with me. That's all you need, strictly speaking. But sometimes within the bad guys, sometimes we just bunch them all together, like the WEF and then this group and that group. But there are sometimes rivalries among themselves that are interesting to explore that Rothbard was actually quite keen on exploring. So we're going to do a little bit of that today with our friend Tom Luongo. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. And it's really great to finally catch up after, like, I don't know, I think the first time you and I interacted via Lou Rockwell is by email about maybe 15 years ago. So it's actually really odd that we've never actually had a, an honest-to-God conversation before. It is odd because, yeah, because I've read so many of your columns and they're not the same old, same old. Mm. You know, like, there are a lot of people, I won't mention names or anything, but I read their columns and I, oh, okay, I guess if I didn't know anything about this subject, this would be a useful column. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of just regurgitating what other people say. I've never once felt that way reading one of your columns. So the only thing oh. that requires explanation, and I haven't really got one, is why it is that it took nearly 2,200 episodes of the Tom Woods show before I brought you on. But better late than never, right? Better late than never. Dude, I'm... Chuffed beyond belief. When I got your DM the other day, I was like, wow, cool. And it was a little weird because the way you put it was like, you know, would you be willing to come on my show? I'm like, dude, I would be like, honored to come on your oh, show. I'm, oh, great. I was hoping there wasn't any kind of like weird animosity behind the scenes or whatever. Like, honestly, I was like, that just felt odd. I'm like, dude, clearly, you're <laughs> one of my freaking heroes. Are you kidding well, me? Like, come you on. Know, look, I appreciate that. But honestly, there are segments of the libertarian world that are so full of hate and resentment and anger that I can't assume anymore. Mm. I used to be able to assume 10 years ago, I don't mean to sound like a narcissist or something, but that everybody liked me, (laughs) you know, because all I do is spread libertarianism. If you're a libertarian, why wouldn't you like me? And now I find out, oh, there are some people who do not like me at all. And I had no reason to think you were in that camp, but I don't know. (laughs) No, fair enough. I didn't, I wasn't sure. So, and that's great to hear. And I'm glad that that air is cleared or yeah, that there was no air to clear. Let's put it that way. That's great. So, but yeah, it's just funny. Like, I'm just, I don't even care what we talk about today, to be honest with you. you know? Well, you know, the thing is, you're the kind of guest you could come on and we could just have a conversation. We sure. record it. It'd be like us talking on the phone, but we record it. Mm-hmm. 
that happens to me a lot. I have a phone conversation. I think, doggone it, if only we'd recorded this. But if we knew mm-hmm. it was recording, maybe it wouldn't have been as good a conversation. Who even knows? But mm-hmm. anyway, let's run an experiment today by just, I'll throw out a topic and we're just going to pursue it and see where it goes. So before we started officially recording, we were just talking about what you've been up to, things you've been writing and thinking about. And I can't seem to get out of my head the kind of shift that's taken place in my own thinking mm. about the people who are in charge, the mm-hmm. people who are, or at the very least, are making very, very suggestive recommendations to the people who are officially in charge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole World Economic Forum thing, at first I thought, ah, uh, this is a typical, this is like, you know, typical conspiracy people who are right. focused so much on purely advisory positions that have no actual force and that's not where we need to be looking. And okay, okay, so I was wrong about that because Mm -hmm. obviously these people are sinister Mm -hmm. and they are placing people in governments and they are boasting about it. They have a youth program Mm -hmm. and the purpose of that youth program is not for them to read Mises. Right. (laughs) You know, so they are up to no good and they do want us to eat bugs and they do want us to have, I mean, the things they say right out loud, we want you to have a chip in you that will Mm -hmm. tell us if you've been vaccinated or not. I mean, Uh this is unbelievable. They just come right out and say, I don't have to make this up. They come right right out and say it. I know. I was on a kick out the other day and they, uh, David Lynn was like shocked. I'm like, dude, it's not even a conspiracy theory at this point. Like this minority report with more Germans is the way I like to put it now. Really just that simple. And the last four or five years, the whole Davos meme, like I think I actually finally seeded that into the zeitgeist on its own. When I see... You know, because I started calling them the Davos crowd about five years ago, four and a half, five years ago. So maybe late 2017, early 2018. And then when I see like Laura Ingraham and Tucker Carlson using that phrase on Fox News after their staff obviously read one of my articles on Zero Hedge, I'm like, oh, good. Like they're getting it. Okay, excellent. I I now know that I can seed stuff like certain things into the zeitgeist and get it out there and, and get it moving. It's very clear that that's what's going on. And, you know, from the moment I started like, working through that narrative and that thesis in my head. And in effect, if it's a hypothesis, you know, I don't know if you remember or not, but I'm a chemist. I'm really a trained scientist and a research chemist. So for me, it's always just throwing out a hypothesis, testing it and see if it holds water. And if it doesn't, it gets falsified. Or you junk it and go, well, that didn't work. And then you move on to the next one. You iterate it, improve it or whatever. Well, every time I kept coming back up against this Davos thing, it kept sounding more and more. It kept like, not getting falsified. It kept working. And so, and I could like read the Trump administration from this perspective. I could read, you know, all the failures of the Trump administration. I could read all of this stuff that way. And so when the 2020 election steal happened and it was definitely stolen, it was very clear to me that we had a junta in the White House that worked for a foreign power. Now everybody, all the neocons want us to believe it's China, but that's not really the case. The real case is that it's the old colonial European oligarchs that we like to call that now effectively is Davos. And they're the ones actually driving this crazy notion. And during COVID, they just came out and told everybody, oh, no, we're in charge now. And you will eat the bugs, as it were. So that's, you know. Yeah, the whole thing reminds me of a question that Sam Francis used to pose, which Mm. was, do they really believe in egalitarianism or not? So- I used to think about the Davos situation that what was going on there was that you would get the world's elites and then they would invite somebody like, 
I don't know if they ever invited Jim Wallace, but he's a guy, he's like mm-hmm. a left-wing social justice evangelical to right. go give a lecture on the evils of the concentration of wealth. And you'd think, oh, I wonder what's going on here. These people all have concentrated wealth and they're going right. to listen to this guy. But it would be their way of kind of letting the left, you know, let off steam and feel good about themselves and be pampered in Davos. And then they'd send them home and totally ignore everything they just said. Mm-hmm. And so it was a kind of a diversion. But now I wonder... Maybe in their heart of hearts, I don't know if they really believe the stuff, but they have come at the very least to the conclusion that various ideologies, whether it's egalitarianism Mm. or various causes like climate change, Mm -hmm. whether they believe in them in their heart of hearts or not, they can be used in a way to increase their own power. They've figured that out. So I'm not sure whether they're real true believers, whether they think eating bugs is best for the world, or whether... It really is a case of we are the sort of people who for a very long period of history have absolutely despised the lower classes and we mean to make their lives miserable and to enrich ourselves in the process. It's really all of the above. I think they really do. I think people like Schwab and Yuval Harari and others really do believe that most of the people on the planet are useless eaters. And I mean, they've even at the point now they just use that term. I don't believe they believe in climate change. I think that's the religion that they've sold people to hate themselves. I've always looked at climate change as kind of like original sin doctrine. Oh, because it makes you feel guilty about everything. Yeah, of course. You feel guilty about being alive, right? I mean, I don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, neither do but I, if, but, obviously. Right, but if I absorbed this, I would. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it's truly just a perversion of original sin doctrine, secularized for very, very despicable purposes, right? And I'm not making a judgment about original sin doctrine for a variety of reasons. I, I understand how it can be used. I'm not Catholic or anything anymore, certainly. I understand how it can be used constructively and it can be used destructively. And they're using it destructively like any good commie would. And I really do believe they're communists at their core. I believe they're control freaks and commies. And I make no bones about this at this point. I don't, well, they're social democrats. So they're, no, 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 stop playing commie word games. They're just commies. And now get comfortable with that and stop projecting your Marxist imprinting that showed up in your public school education that's coming to the fore and you're getting triggered by using the word commie. Get over yourself and just realize it's just communism and the common turn never ended. And that's where we are. And so once you do that analysis and once you get comfortable with that, it's like, it's very simple with what's going on here. And when you really think about that, what's the end goal of communism? It's the destruction of capital formation. You know, it's the antithesis of Austrian economics, Mises and free markets and human dignity, right? Because that's what ultimately Austrian economics preaches as a set of analytic tools, right? That if we can maximize human dignity through the application of voluntary exchange, right? Ultimately, and getting the government out of the way of just working us to death for their purposes, right? So once you understand that, then you start to ask yourself, okay, well, they're now going to close the loop after all these years of prepping us for this, by the great Frank Zappa quote, they let you into the theater and then, you know, you think they're going to feed you and show you a movie and then they, you know, pull back the curtain and the door's been bricked over and the exit sign has been removed. That's where we are. And now the question is, did any of us, you know, walk into the theater with a hammer or with a sledgehammer to break the door back open, right? So, and that's a good question as to where we are right now. Talk to me about your view about the split among the elites? Because, of course, the elites is a very, very broad, non-specific term. It is. 
and we're inclined, and when I say we, I include myself, right. to think of them all as being more or less interchangeable. But mm-hmm. of course, even Rothbard, when he would do his power elite analysis, mm-hmm. he would talk about the Morgan interests, you right. know, and he would break it down yes. into individual groups that maybe in the grand scheme of things, in the abstract, they might look at the world somewhat similarly. In the immediate nitty-gritty here and now, they did have somewhat divergent interests. So yeah, describe what you're seeing along those lines. I'm glad you brought up Murray's analysis on that stuff because that's it kind of informs the way I look at this. And again, it's like these guys taught me well is to always remember that everybody responds to incentives, right? So at the June meeting last year, the Federal Reserve did something that the world was not expecting. They raised the reverse repo payout rate to five basis points above the Fed funds rate. And I didn't think anything of it. Zero Hedge didn't think anything of it. But the euro dropped three cents that day. Now, if you know anything about currency markets, you know the three-cent move in the euro in an hour is a big deal. So that just got me... All my spidey senses just like started tingling. And then all of a sudden, like all this stuff that I'd been hearing for, like, and these little bits of information that I'd been ingesting from Martin Armstrong and from, you know, Powell himself, Jay Powell himself and others. I'm like, the Fed just stealth tightened. Now, why did they do that? And then everybody's freaking out. And then nascent idea crept into my head. What if the Fed is not down with all of this? What if the reason we had COVID, and it didn't start here, right? But the reason they threw COVID at us wasn't just to get rid of Trump, wasn't just to close the loop and everything else, but it was to force the Fed in typical congressional blackmail by passing seven or $8 trillion worth of unnecessary spending that the Fed has to monetize into a market that doesn't want that debt. What if the Fed is actually being blamed by us libertarians all the time and not properly blaming Congress. And what if Congress isn't actually controlled by American interests, which is clearly obvious? Well, then who's controlling them? Is it China? Does China want to see the Fed tighten? No. Like, they don't want to see a stronger dollar. They don't want to see any of that, right? They don't want a trade war with the United States. So clearly, because it will blow up their property markets and everything else. I'm like, the only group that benefits from this is old Europe, because the European Union as a political structure is untenable. The euro as a currency is foundationally flawed. So, you know, now this is years of my work that went into this moment of this like an aha moment. And then everything that happened after that, the politicization of the Fed, the insider trading scandal against Powell, and they got, you know, three hawks off the Federal Reserve Board, Kaplan, Rosengren, and Carita, the troubles that the Build Back Better bill ran into with Mansion and Cinema last year. That was another $6.5 trillion worth of spending the Fed would be forced to monetize. I'm like, how does Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema stand up to six months worth of congressional pressure unless somebody really powerful was standing behind them, right? Because, and then, then you got to ask the question, if somebody's really powerful standing behind them, who's powerful enough to stop these people? Only the New York commercial banks and the Federal Reserve itself. Like, you just start asking yourself the question of whose ox is being gored here? And if these people are commies and they want to implement central bank digital currencies, which will do away with commercial banking the world over, then don't you think the most powerful commercial banks in the world would have a problem with this? I do. Do you really think, I mean, Jamie Dimon is anything other than a mustache twirling corporatist, but do you really think he's a commie? I don't. And that's where it started. And then I sat down and I posed these questions to my patrons behind the scenes. I got a private discussion forum with my patrons. 
we have a private Slack server. And I've got hedge fund managers. And I got people who know these people. And they're all said, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Jay Powell's nickname is Private Equity Powell. I know these people. I have multiple people say this to me. I'm like, no, no, those incentives make sense to me. You're onto something here. Now let's watch it play out. And we did as a group for months or over a year now. And everything that's been happening, I've been able to call this, like I said back in January, I said the Fed is going to raise interest rates like people don't believe. Like all the Austrian adjacent and the libertarian adjacent are going to go, dude, the Fed can't go more than a 1% without breaking the markets. I'm like, you wait, they're going to go to six and they're at two and a quarter and they're going to go to three in September, as far as I'm concerned. And the Fed funds futures curve is now saying 4% by next year. What if we're dealing with Volcker moment? Well, time will tell. Mm -hmm. Time will tell. I'm skeptical of that. Of course. But you should always be. Of course, what would lend credibility to your claim would be if somebody at the Fed would actually just come right out and say something. Yeah, they can't. That's the problem. Politically, they can't say that, Tom. You always have to. I mean, that's the art of this thing is they can't say that. You And honestly, you'd really never listen to a central bank what the central banker says because they're always lying. Just watch what they do. I, I, that's the way I, I operate. I, again, it's very Misesian, right? I don't listen to what people say. Oh, I look at what they do. And then I go, oh, look, you decided to spend your last $100 on booze and pills as opposed to you know getting your kid the dental work you needed, or your last $500 on booze and pills as opposed to getting your... you know. So you clearly value the booze and pills more than you value your child's you know dental health, right? Well, there it is. Like, and that's the way I analyze the world. I, I don't watch these people. I don't listen to what a thing they say, other than they'll read between the lines. What I listen to is what they actually do. And everything the Fed has done is screaming to me that they want to bust the old European banking interests. And again, I, I know you only like to go 30 minutes. Like I, when I lay this out, it usually takes me an hour because there's so many moving parts to this, right? But just think about it this way. Davos's power comes from the old European banking system going back to the you know the 1500s and you know the emergence of you know the stock markets in Amsterdam for Christ's sake. That's how old this money is. And some of these banks are like Intesa San Paolo and ING and and Unicredit. One these things are 500 years old. Now they're all zombies thanks to the ECB. And if the Fed raises interest rates, continues to raise interest rates, then their ability to create credit through the euro dollar offshore dollar markets, the shadow banking system, is gone. That's why the euro dropped three cents when the Fed raised the reverse repo rate. We pushed $1.7 trillion worth of literal base money, offshore base money, into a savings account at the Federal Reserve. Okay, And that's money that can't be used to gear up and use against the Fed as creating dollars to buy you know, wealth with and buy power and profit with. They're literally getting drained and we're literally destroying the euro dollar futures market as this plays out. These markets are getting drained of all their liquidity. Okay. And I'm watching it happen in real time. It's literally what I half of the, what I do on a daily basis anymore. It's like this thesis is so thoroughly taken over my life. I'm like, that's all I can watch now. And because I would never thought I would be here, you know, ever in my life that this is where I would be. And I'm like, wow, this is very powerful because if this is the case, then the fight on Capitol Hill is can they get spending bills through to force the Fed to monetize? And if they can't get them through, and you know, you don't win every battle. So they got a small version of Build Back Better through last week. And what did it mostly have in it? It had, you know, go after the middle class to raise tax revenues, which is another terrible thing. And then you want to focus on Ukraine and why are they starting a war in Ukraine? Why they've picked a war with the Russians? It's obvious because it's more nuclear blackmail. 
So it all starts to fit together. And you're just looking at it going, wow. When you start to look at the tableau, it's like, it's very, very crazy. I tried to give a version of this talk when I was at the Ron Paul Institute meeting on foreign policy a couple months ago, trying to explain the, the game is like a, a seven-player game of Go, like exploding. And it was fun. I did it mostly extemporaneously. It was fun, but Jesus, it was crazy. And, but everybody came up to me afterwards and went, thank you, because now it makes so much more sense than it did before. Before I go on, let me say a quick thing that will help a lot of you and you know who you are. If you are in business and you're getting buried by your competition online, then build your brand, your reputation, and your lead flow with digital marketing by Persist SEO, our great sponsor. If you're a small local business, you're trying to compete against large companies in the service industry, increase your visibility with Persist SEO. Or if you have low or no leads coming in on a consistent basis, well, website search engine and conversion optimization can help move the needle to a more prosperous business model for you. If you're tired of cold calling, use your website as a lead generation engine. If you're not showing up for your services on the search engines, then get found with Persist SEO's expert search engine optimization. All you have to do is call 770-580-3736 or visit them at ineedseo.help for a free website audit and consultation. That's 770-580-3736 or ineedseo.help. There's another piece I'd like to see if you could fit into this puzzle or how it's related to this. Because just yesterday, I had a guy named Vivek Ramaswamy Mm -hmm. on the show. And he founded Strive Asset Management. And Mm -hmm. he is specifically focused on countering this ESG movement. Yes. You know, which is obsessed with social justice and climate change causes. And that this is how you need to evaluate, you know, a firm or even an industry. And he's just dead set against this stuff and just thinks that it's a terrible thing. It is. That a small group of people with access to an enormous amount of capital are going to disperse it on this basis. Yes. So that's a very, very significant thing is taking this head on. How does that piece fit into what you're describing with the Fed and the WEF and all that? It's very clear that there are certain banks on Wall Street that are aligned with the WEF. And I would put Bank of New York Mellon. I would put BlackRock on there. I would put BOFA on there, Bank of America. What I've identified right now is it looks like the battle lines are between Morgan, Goldman, and Citigroup versus basically everybody else. Maybe Wells on the side, but Wells doesn't have a lot of international business, so they don't really care. But they're mostly, the Wells mostly services the oil and gas industry, and they're under fire from Biden, the Biden junta. I like to look at this as Obama's third term, and I've always thought of Obama as working for the globalists. Now, to me, it's very clear that I'm watching like this stuff happening with BlackRock that's very interesting. Right now, everybody's like freaking out that BlackRock has all these assets under management. But most people forget that while they may control all this capital, that's only as long as they can you know, give the returns out to the investors that that's where they have their power. Their power comes from their assets under management. It doesn't come from their balance sheet. BlackRock actually only has $36 billion worth of shareholder equity on its balance sheet. And actually, that number is probably now a quarter out of date and it's falling because BlackRock, with thinking that they had everything under control, was given by Congress access to the Fed discount window to go buy U.S. residential property at 0%, at the zero bound, right? And guess what? They overpaid for all that property and that property is all going to go bust. And BlackRock could easily get wiped out very, very quickly. So everybody kind of went in all in on this ESG idea, the ESG DEI thing, because they got control of all 
branches of the American government. But they really didn't because somehow, politically on the ground, we've just seen them not be able to get through the stuff that they wanted to get through a divided Congress, even though the Democrats had everything under control. The Democrats should have easily been able to push all of this stuff through on us, and they couldn't do it. And you've got to ask yourself the question, how did that happen? Because this doesn't normally happen. And so it's clear that someone's working the angles behind the scenes. And I'm also starting to now find some very interesting things like, so Bank of New York Mellon, for example, runs the ADR for Gazprom, right? So it's, you know, there's only a few banks involved in doing American depository receipts of foreign stocks that aren't directly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So we have what we call American depository receipts or ADRs. So Gazprom never traded on the New York Stock Exchange. You have to go through the over-the-counter bold and board market buy, you know, an ADR from Bank of New York Mellon. Well, last month, Bank of New York Mellon issued a statement out to Gazprom shareholders, their ZPY, ADR gas shareholders saying, look, we're liquidating the fund. We're giving all the shares back to Gazprom. If you want them, you can get directly listed on the Moscow exchange. Well, I come to find out, thanks to one of my patrons, I come to find out that the only bank making a market who has been nominated as a custodian for any Russian or Chinese ADR is JP Morgan. So they're the only ones with any ruble or yuan liquidity within American markets. Bank of New York Mellon had to do this. Because JP Morgan basically told them, no, you can't have any rubles. Why? Because I'm not giving them to you. Because I'm in control of these. You're not. And Bank of New York Mellon is getting killed on this. And their, their latest quarterly report was awful. And BlackRock's latest quarterly report was awful. There are three quarters in a row now of assets under management in BlackRock falling. Now, it's still a massive pile of money. Same thing with Vanguard. But it's falling, meaning family offices around the world are starting to divest out of BlackRock funds and whatnot. And this whole thing can go sideways very, very quickly if the signals are being sent behind the scenes by the very powerful players on Wall Street going, look, the Hamptons still matter and we're not down with this. You guys are not going to win. And then if you take it one step further, Tom, and you really start to think about this, this is just American history writ large. The European colonial powers have always used access to deep access to our financial markets through LIBOR and other things like that in order to control U.S. policy and get us to do Europe's dirty work for them. And maybe the Americans are finally saying, you know what? No, we're now an independent country after 240 years. So much of this America bashing that we go through is really just European propaganda. I mean, it's a way of looking at the world. I'm not saying I'm right about this, but it's something to at least consider and then run the thing out and then see what happens. Because what we're seeing in the response to the Russians invading Ukraine was what happened. The entire global South outside of the West said, you know what? We're not sanctioning the Russians for this. They're justified. You people wanted to start a nuclear war over Ukraine. And we're going to buy Russian oil and we're going to buy Russian wheat. And we're going to buy Russian gas. And we're not going to sanction them. We're not doing this. All the former British colonies of Asia and Middle East and South America, they're all, they're all saying no. And what are we doing in response? And we're being set up as the bad guys for this policy a two-headed nuclear war confrontation with nuclear powers, Russia and China, to further discredit us and make us look like idiots and make us look like the warmongering jackals that that we supposedly are. Well, Europe looks like the victim. And I'm telling you, Europe's not the victim. They're the ones generating this stuff. It's all the same stuff over and over again. Well, the Germans try to colonize Italy and Greece and the rest of, of Europe. It's been going on for years now. And that's how cynical I see the world. And it's crazy. But, you know, that's where I think we are. 
Can you describe then a few possible endgame scenarios depending mm-hmm. on which side gets the upper hand? Sure. I think that you just want to keep watching the Federal Reserve carefully. The more hawkish the Fed is, the more right I am. If the Fed pivots before the end of the year and like, I don't know how to cut interest rates or whatever, either I was wrong or, you know, someone's blackmailing, you know, finally got blackmailed material on Powell to a level that is, or Jamie Dimon that is a level that we can't imagine. Endgame scenarios on this verse follows, or some of them, and, it, and there's too many. One is a uh, freaking nuclear war, right? Which at that point, you know, smoke them if you got them, folks. It's, it ain't pretty. The second one is that you've got the Russians on the one side of Europe denying them energy and denying them access and liquidity. And you've got the Fed on the other side denying them monetary access and liquidity. And the European Central Bank implodes completely. The Italian elections next month open up the possibility of the European Union, the horrible monstrosity that it is, and you know, anathema to human freedom and dignity that it is, starts to break apart which is, I think, what needs to happen first before we can actually fix what's going on here in America. America's broken, right? But I think we have to destroy the vestiges of the old European colonial system before we can deal with the you know vestiges of imperial America. I hate to put it in those terms, but that's the way I kind of see it. And then we can like start to you know move forward into a, a potentially better world. That is your optimal outcome, that the European Union fails first, all that capital floods into the United States, and then we have a kind of a, a second Reagan moment in 2024 with you know Powell going first from Arthur Burns and then morphing into Paul Volcker all at the same time. And we're not going to get out of it easily. It's going to be ugly and it's going to be terrible. But as we all know, the recession is the way you clear the excesses of the previous boom. And that previous boom has been this 14 years worth of coordinated central bank policy in QA. So that's what I'm hoping for. What's the worst outcome? It's all out nuclear war. Well, okay, so that's even worse than eating bugs. Yeah, that's far worse than eating bugs. I mean, why do you think the latest headlines, I just wrote a private piece for my patrons this morning that scares me to death. Why are the Ukrainians with American intelligence shelling the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant that the Russians control? Why would the Russians shell a piece of territory and a nuclear power plant and an asset they control. It doesn't make it beggar's belief. It's obviously the Ukrainians doing it. And if we're doing it with HIMARS, as Scott Ritter was talking about the other day, then it's the United States. The Ukrainians don't fire those HIMARS on their own. The Americans fire them for them, effectively, with you know our satellite intelligence, our radar, yada, 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 right? Why are we doing that? What's the, the scenario there? It's obviously, it's nuclear blackmail. We're willing to create a meltdown you know, makes Chernobyl look like Three Mile Island. Really? And like make most of Eastern Europe into a, a nuclear wasteland. This is what we're willing to do. That's how crazy these people are. But hopefully that is just brinksmanship. And that really what happens here is that we get into kind of a two-front conventional war. We already are in a conventional war with the Russians, with the using the Ukrainians mostly as proxies. And then we wind up with one in China. And then the United States is then torn apart at the seams politically, which is what they're trying to do. It's why they went after Trump last week. They want to set up a, a scenario where the United States is broken up into multiple countries by the end of the decade. Either... Oh, okay, hold on. Now, see, we should have... We'll have to revisit this one because I don't think that's bad because then there's... Oh, there's I don't a, either. I just think it's later in the order of operations. Yeah. Okay, that's all. I mean, because there's a much, much greater chance that at least somewhat... I don't place my hope in politicians, but I would at least like the people in charge 
not to hate the very side of me. And I think there's a greater chance that some mm. such people could be running one of those smaller places. No, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I've been taking some flack from the libertarian community for sounding like a rampant status about this, about you know, backing the Fed. I'm like, look, this is not about me. I haven't changed. I'm still the same. Like, I'm more of an Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist than I was five years ago. Because now I can really see what this stuff really looks like. But understand that we are ants looking up at giants and titans fighting amongst themselves and trying to avoid being stepped on. This is the best metaphor that I've used recently for this. Once one of them falls, then we attack the other one. Like what we want right now is one of them to succeed in beating the other one so that later on we can then go start going after those guys. Like I don't think the United States, you know, as a 50 state compact has a future. But I also understand that. As a 50-state compact, right now, it has to kind of survive long enough to stop the current plan, the Agenda 2030 stuff that's going on. And then we can then fix our own house. And if we have to, you know, break apart and let the left coast and the Northeast, you know, sink into commie hell and the rest of the country and most of Western Canada say, you know what, that's great. We don't want to be a part of the group that would have you guys as members. Like, you're free to go. Thank you. And I've been mapping in my head, mentally mapping that the United States would break up into five or six different countries, you know, for 20 years. But uh, I just don't want that. The way I read the board right now, I don't want that to happen before the European Union breaks back up into at least 20 different countries, because I think that would be better for humanity. And that would break these old colonial influences that are still powerful because they've been able to always protect their money through Every iteration of the crisis point, World War One, World War Two, yada, 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 and now this one, they were planning on hiding their money in China. That's not where they're not going to be able to hide their money in China this time. The Chinese are like, absolutely not. And the Russians are like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. That's not happening. So they have to be like torn apart between the Sill and the Charybdis of Western and Eastern powers of, you know, of people saying, look, that's enough. Yeah, no, you guys have run the world for too long and Look where you've run us into nuclear brinksmanship. Like, really? That's what no, none of us want that. We all want to, you know, send our kids to, to school and, you know, have children, make babies and, you know, watch good movies on our, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we want to do in this life. Stop it. You know, would you please just stop? I, I think Jordan Peterson said it the other day nicely. He just said, look, to the globalists, would you please just stop it? Like, stop acting like children. Yeah. Well, that is what I think most people want. Mm hmm. Now, maybe, maybe, this is a really ham-handed segue, sure. maybe after this conversation, another thing some people will want is to follow you. Boy, that was terrible. <laughs> after you think 2,200 episodes, I'd be smoother at this. But <laughs> what is the link to your blog, by the way? Sure, the link to my blog is at tomlawongo.me. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at TFL1728 for as long as I'm allowed to be there. And then there's, of course, you can find the links to the podcast and the Patreon. And you can sign up for the newsletter if you want to help you. I do a retail investor monthly newsletter where I've got a portfolio and that I try and help people make some good decisions about where to place their money to help them, you know, survive this and thrive. So that's what we do. And your last name is spelled just the way it looks. So L-U-O-N-G-O. Yep. Right. So there it is. All right. I'll have that also linked at tomwoods.com slash 2187. I'll link to your various things. People can find them there. And uh, we'll do this again. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. All right, everybody, that's going to do it. Don't forget, pick up my brand new ebook, National Divorce, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences, available at nationaldivorce.com. See you next week. 
Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.